We're in Acts chapter 2 this morning. Now, we understand that Jesus will always be the greatest preacher that has walked this planet. There is no comparison to his sermons, whether it's the Sermon on the Mount, the Olivet Discourse, or anywhere in between. We understand that. So we're going we're to leave that out. Amongst mortal men, who would we identify as having preached the greatest sermon in the Bible? Now, there's a really good argument to be made for Jonah, because Jonah preached a message in an entire city, repented, a big city, repented. And there'd be an argument to be made, but I'm having a difficult time pursuing that because I don't actually know what he said in his sermon. The only thing the Bible gives us is for him to say, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, could it be that he walked through the city, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown? Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown? Maybe. I mean, all you got to do is say what God told you to say, and God does the rest, right? So that could be true, but but I'm not going to use him this morning, although there's a good argument to be made. There's a good argument to be made for Paul's message on Mars Hill in Acts 17. In fact, there's any number of Paul's messages that we could say were really, really good. But for our purposes this morning, from my perspective, I'd have to say that I think the greatest sermon preached in the Bible, other than those preached by Jesus, was preached by a man named Peter on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Why? Well, the reason I'm settling on that one is because There are three tremendous truths surrounding that sermon, and they really resonate with me. Number one, truth number one is this, God is willing to use anybody who'll surrender. You see, if we were to use modern metrics, we would not have chosen Peter for this job. Peter was not an overly educated man. Peter was known as much for the wrong things he said as the right things he said. And the last time we see Peter before Jesus is crucified, he's denied him three times. He goes away and weeps bitterly. We probably would have chose Peter. And there's a whole lot of us that are doing things for God that if you were looking at at us with a, a worldly mindset, you'd say, oh, they'll never do anything for God. But aren't you glad that God will use anybody that'll surrender to him? The only ability that you need to serve God is availability. That's it. I'll tell you a second truth that speaks to me. God's willing to use anybody who will surrender, and I'm glad to tell you that God's willing to speak to anybody who will hear. If you look at that sermon, there were people from all the known nations of the world present that day, and God wanted all of them. I stand before you to tell you, let me go ahead and touch on this again. In view of April Fool's, I believe with all my heart that the Bible teaches that anyone who wishes to be saved can be saved. God would not have any to repent, but that all would come. God would not have any to perish, rather, but that all would come to repentance. Now, is everybody going to be saved? Sadly, no. But that's not for the lack of God's desire. But God's sovereign. He is. He is indeed, and God is so sovereign, he can give man the choice. 
Our free will does not diminish his sovereignty in the slightest, but I believe if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ and you'd like to, you don't have to worry about whether or not you fall into certain terminology or whether or not you fall into somebody's theology. If you want to be saved today, you call upon the Lord Jesus Christ, believe on him, and you'll be saved. Third truth that I love, God's willing to use anybody who will surrender. God's willing to speak to anybody who will hear, and God is willing to save anyone who will believe. He did it 3,000 times that day. Acts 2.41 tells us 3,000 people got saved that day. Now, we don't use numbers to say whether or not a sermon was effective. Anybody who's a Baptist preacher will tell you, if you go strictly off the numbers, you might as well just quit and get out of it now. That's not the metric. Faithfulness is the metric. But still, are we not excited that 3,000 people got saved in one sitting? Now, the ugly truth, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings today, but the ugly truth is not everybody here will preach a sermon because not everybody here can preach a sermon. The Bible gives us specific instructions as to who may and may not preach, who may and may not pastor, who may and may not be deacons, who who may and may not do a number of things in the Bible. Not everybody here can preach preach a sermon, and even among those who can, not everybody here will. Not everybody is called into vocational ministry like that. But I'll tell you something that every saved person in here does have in common. Not everybody here has a sermon to preach, but every soul in here who's saved has a message to proclaim. Every one of us. And while you may not be under the call of God to preach a sermon, you are under the call of God to proclaim a message. And that's what we see Peter doing here today. We look at his message. Try to forget that it's a sermon, even if I slip up and say that it is. And see it for what it really is more broadly. It's a message. And we see some indispensable elements to its effectiveness. If we want our message to be effective as we proclaim it, these elements have got to be there. We see this in Simon Peter's example. So with that in mind, I want to speak on this subject. Making the most of our message. Making the most of our message. Now you understand the message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. But how do we make the most of our proclaiming it? Now, we don't need to improve the gospel. The gospel is just right, just like it is. But do we need some work on proclaiming it? Yeah. So, Father, would you help us this morning? Would you speak to us and direct us and guide us? Use your word as only you can. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen. How do we make the most of our message? Well, the first element that's got to be there is prayer. When you read Acts chapter 2, make sure you don't forget Acts chapter 1. Because I believe that without Acts chapter 1, specifically verses 13 and 14, there wouldn't be an Acts 2.41. Why did 3,000 people get saved that day? I'll tell you why. Acts chapter 1, verse 13. 
And when they were come in, they went into an upper room where both, both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes and Judas the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in what? Prayer and supplication with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. The catalyst for what happened at Pentecost was prayer. If we're to see a great moving of God here, what must be the catalyst? Prayer. This morning, I'm going to be out there shaking hands right after the service, but if, if I can, I'd like for Brother Davies and our, uh, and our deacons, so somebody can get more to Robert, um, just for a couple of minutes, I just want to talk to you quickly um, about our cottage prayer meetings and some last-minute arrangements we want to make before we start announcing dates and times and so forth. We're starting cottage prayer meetings. We're getting together as, as church families and praying. Why? Because we need revival. We des- I desperately need it. And it all begins with prayer. Moody rightly said, every great move of God can be traced back to a kneeling figure. Prayer. Our message will never be as effective as it could be without earnest, persistent prayer. S.D. Gordon said this, You can do more than pray after you've prayed. But you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. Let me say that again. You can do more than pray after you've prayed. But you can't do more than pray until you've prayed. Now, let's be honest. How many of us are guilty of after we have exhausted every idea we have? Oh, we should probably pray about this. Guilty. We have things pop up around here. And I call Brother Davies, and I say, let's get together. We've got to put our heads together on this thing. We've got to figure this thing out. And uh, we're both reminded. Maybe the first thing we ought to do is pray. You know? He's a smart guy. I'm not as smart as he is, but I'm not the dumbest guy I've ever known. But neither one of us is smart enough to know what to do when God's the only one knows what to do. By the way, God's the only one that can do what needs to be done, too. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Prayer. We see this pop up later, Acts chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. It happened when they had prayed. I want to speak the word of God with boldness. I want to be the witness I ought to be. I want to rightly proclaim the message of the gospel, and I don't seem to be as effective as I'd like to be. Well, the first thing I'd ask you is the thing I'd ask me. How's your prayer life? Prayer. Number two, if you're going to make the most out of the message, there's got to be prayer. And number two, old Baptist, brace yourself. There's got to be some passion. I joked yesterday about, for April Fool's, about us considering being Presbyterian. We're not. I've got tons of friends who are, that love God. And they, they call themselves, these are my friends, these are my Presbyterian friends, they call themselves the Frozen Chosen. I'm thinking of a youth pastor named Ray that called himself that once. 
Yeah, I'm part of the frozen chosen. My response to that would be, no, I think the Baptists have got that one locked down. Because we can get a little frozen sometimes, can't we? Yeah, we can. Um, there needs to be some passion. Chapter 2, verse 14. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice. Well, duh, of course he did, Andy. They didn't have, they had all these people out there and they didn't have microphones. They didn't have a PA system. Of course he lifted up his voice. But, but here's the thing. That phrase lifted up his voice is not just talking about volume. The phrase lifted up his voice literally means to exalt in importance. A lot of times that phrase is used to indicate pride. Now, obviously, Peter is not acting pridefully here. What he's saying is he's, in, he's exalting his voice in importance. What he's saying in that is he's saying, what I am about to say is important. It matters. It's worth listening to. It's worth considering. And I know a whole lot of preachers that can get loud and that can get audible and their volume can go up, and that's great, but they don't manage to say anything of any importance. And you know me, I have moments where I find my way into a little bit of animation, I find my way into a little bit of volume, and if I really, really want to, yeah, I can dig into the Appalachian mountain preaching. Hey, I can do it. But all the yelling in the world doesn't mean that what we're saying is important. Passion doesn't equal volume, but when passion is there, it's unmistakable. Passion. Some of us, when we watch a ball game, we get loud, don't we? But you know what I tend to do? I tend to pace. If I'm watching my beloved Cavaliers, which sadly I'm not watching them anymore this season in basketball, but if I'm, Crystal will tell you, we have a, how big is our TV? It's like a thousand inches. I mean, it's, it's like a wall. Black Friday. And there they are, playing the first game of the tournament, losing the first game of the tournament again. And there they are. And I'm not loud necessarily, but I'll tell you what I am doing. I'm right up against this 80-inch TV because apparently I can't see it that well from the couch. And my fists are clenched and I'm muttering, and I'm rocking, and I'm pacing, but not making much sound. But anybody that walks into that room knows that guy's passionate about something. Oh, what are you doing? What? Why? It's just a one-three-one. Why can't you know that kind of thing? But then there's other times that I get passionate, and there's a little volume associated with it. We all have those variances, but when somebody's passionate, you know it. Can I tell you something, friend? When somebody's not passionate, you know that too. I'm not saying that you should, everybody you meet, you go to Walmart. Hey, I think that you need to come to church and hear about Jesus. You ought to come. Don't do that. Because let me tell you what they're going to do. Security. 
Now, if you do, if you do get overly passionate about something like that, would you do me a personal favor? Would you tell them you're from Rural Retreat Baptist Church and not Fellowship, okay? <laughs> Brother Jacob Vanover is my friend. He'd get a kick out of that, and I'm sure he's saying things about me too. It's not about volume, y'all, but it is about passion. Peter conveyed that his message given to him by God was important. We do understand that the message that we have to give to a lost and dying world was given to us by God, and it is important. We may not be called upon to raise our voice, but we must convey passion. Cry loud, spare not. Lift up thy voice like a trumpet and show my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Hey, friends, let's remember this. You can't expect your hearers to be passionate about something if you're not. I have the privilege of teaching the upper-level Bible class in our school. And it's incumbent upon me to teach them the Bible in a passionate way for a couple of reasons. Number one, they're teenagers. And you just got to get outside the box with teenagers sometimes. But if I come in and I say, okay, class, welcome, everyone's seated. Open your textbooks to page 248. Open your Bibles to Matthew 21. Today we're going to begin the next section. You have a quiz on Friday. Let's begin. Now, does that mean I go into class and say, all right, class, here we go, because I can't maintain that. (laughs) But I've got to convey to them that this is an important message from God and that it matters. Yeah, if you can, come to, come, come to church if you can. Here's a track. Listen, you can do better than that. I'll tell you, sometimes passion is revealed in tears. Sometimes it's revealed in laughter. Sometimes it's revealed in volume. Sometimes it's revealed in intensity. But if you're passionate about something, people will know it. And I can't think of anything that we should be more passionate about than the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to make the most out of our message. It needs to start with prayer, and there needs to be some passion. Number three. (laughs) Lord, help me on this one. There needs to be some personality. It's an amazing thing. We we would all agree that you ought to be the same person in the pew that you are at home, right? Because if you're not, if you affect some kind of different spirituality here than you do at home, then then that's, that's hypocritical. And yet, don't we have a way of changing our personalities at church? Now, I know I'm about to hit something here. Maybe even it happened today. World War III in the car on the way here. World War III coming out of the house. 
World War III trying to get in the bathroom. World War III, but as soon as you cut, cut the threshold of the door there, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Hey, brother, God bless you. Good to see you. How sister such and such? Oh, she's such a blessing. She's such a dear. I was telling my husband, my blessed husband, I was telling him just this morning. And our personalities shift, don't they? But sometimes it goes the other way. Sometimes we have a very gregarious and friendly personality that doesn't find its way into our ministry. I mean, if y'all hang around me... If you'll hang around me at all, you know that I like to laugh. I like to have a good time. Now, I understand there are times in which that's inappropriate. There's times in which sobriety is needed. Tuesday, me and Brother Davies are going to be conducting a funeral. Now, some of us know that there are certain situations in funerals where laughter is appropriate. When we did Brother Burgett's funeral and then Mrs. Burgett's funeral, the family really enjoyed some of the things we had to say because it resonated with them and it brought them some joy. But we understand there's limits to that, and there needs to be sobriety, and there needs to, we need to be careful about all that. But, but why is it that sometimes, sometimes we're so gregarious and so friendly and so um, um, you know, just, just inviting until we start talking about spiritual things, and the next thing you know, mm, we turn into the most grave, pious person you've ever seen. Well, pastor, we're handling holy things. I remind you, every time you pick up your child, you're handling a holy thing. Every time you embrace your spouse, you're handling a holy thing. It all belongs to God. It's all His. All right, Andy, where are you going with this? Look at chapter 2, verse 15. Well, verse uh, 12 says, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. What are they saying? They're drunk. These guys are drunk. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea, and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken. Now he could have stopped right there, couldn't he? We are not drunk. But what do you keep on saying? as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. Now, wait a minute. What did he say? We're not drunk. It's too early in the day for all that. Now, do you think that means that Peter was actually looking forward to tying a few off later? No. I can't read this any other way than Peter was being a bit of a smart aleck. We're not drunk. It's just the third hour. (laughs) Now, if you can find another way to read that, I'd be interested to hear it. Well, I believe Peter was intending to go get drunk later. Prove that from Scripture then. No, I think think he's using a little bit of maybe some some sideways humor there. And that wouldn't surprise me because Peter was old salty fisherman. Not drunk. It's but the third hour of the day. He's preaching arguably the greatest message ever preached by a person other than Jesus, and he says that. And God blessed his message. 
And yet, there's a whole lot of people that think, as soon as you crack open the book, everything that's happy and joyful needs to go away. Last I checked, this book is full of joyful things. Uh, these not, you understand that your personality, those non-sinful elements of your personality were given to you by God. And they reflect his image. Where did laughter come from? Did man invent that? Or did God invent that? And he intends for us to use them for his glory. God deliver us from this dour, excessively grave Christianity that doesn't temper sobriety with levity. What am I saying? Some of us need to get over ourselves. Jesus said in John 15, 11, these things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. John 10, verse 10, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. That term more abundantly means just, just flowing over and flowing over and flowing over and it has to do with emotion. Now, some people aren't wired that way, and I'm not saying that you should, that you should go against your, your normal inclination. If, if you're not one that, that is, is goofy, then don't go out of your way to act goofy. I don't have to go out of my way. I don't have to act. I am goofy, and I understand that. But, but I'm just, I'm tired of trying to, trying to temper the joy that I have in being, in being saved and living for God that somebody might not, you know, I don't want anybody to think that I don't take the things of God seriously. You're telling me for three and a half years, Jesus never once laughed with his disciples. Why did children like to come to Jesus? His miracles, the Bible doesn't say that. They had this extra sensory perception about who he was. The Bible doesn't say that either. I'm convinced, and it's an argument from silence, and I readily accept that, but I'm convinced children came to Jesus because they liked him. I believe that the Son of God, creator of all the universe, gave piggyback rides. Try not to believe all the pictures you see painted of Jesus, of him looking like, you know, Sour. I believe he smiled. I believe he smiled on the cross before he cried out, it is finished. If anybody should be exhibiting and exuding joy in this world, should it not be us? But can I offer you this thought? It is little wonder that we are having trouble persuading folks to come to Jesus, given how unappealing we tend to make it seem. You need to come to Jesus. You need to be saved. If you don't, you're going to die and go to hell, so you better get saved. And then once you get saved, that's where the real trouble begins. Because all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's true. And I'm not trying to tell you that you get saved and all your problems are going to go away. But I will tell you this, you get saved and you've got a home in heaven and you've got the Holy Ghost living in you and you've got the fruit of the Spirit and one of those is joy. And I'm just, I'm up to here with cold, dead, religious experiences. I think that if you're saved, you ought to enjoy it. 
and our personality. God gave you that personality. It is okay to use it for his glory. And I'm getting to where I used to be worried about offending people with this kind of thing, and I'm just not anymore. I walked, I was at a wedding. <laughs> I was at a wedding. The preacher that conducted the wedding, we've actually become good friends since then. He conducted the wedding for his son and his now daughter-in-law. She works here. And I'd talked to him a couple times before, but nothing really intense. And after the wedding, he was kind of standing around talking to somebody, and I walked up to him, and I said, Brother, can I ask you a question? He said, what's that? I said, where on this property can I go to smoke? He said, what? I said, I'm just messing with you. He laughed the biggest belly laugh you've ever seen in your life. Well, preacher, I think that's inappropriate. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. But I'll tell you, I've gotten closer to winning people to Jesus with with pleasantness than I ever have with not. I just think being saved is the best thing in the world ever happened to me, and I ought to enjoy it some. There'll be some personality. He's been a drunk. No, we're not. It's too early. Well, I don't believe God was pleased with that. Well, then maybe he would have saved 5,000 that day, but he's pleased enough to save 3,000. That's good stuff right there, and I like it. <laughs> That'll be prayer, passion, personality. It needs to be preparation. In, in, this, in this sermon, Peter references two Old Testament passages. In verses 16 through 21, he references Joel 2, 28 through 32. In verses 25 through 28, he references Psalm 16. This evidence is a knowledge of the Scriptures by Peter. He had studied his Bible or what he had at the time. Well, wait a minute, Matthew 10, Luke 12, Jesus said that you didn't need to worry about what you would say. The Holy Spirit would tell you what to say. All that means is that the Holy Spirit would guide their answers as they're before people who are grilling them and ready to condemn them. It doesn't mean that they were exempt from studying the Bible. Otherwise, I could claim those verses just every Sunday morning. What you preaching, preacher? I don't know, Lord will tell me when I get up there. Right? Is that how it's supposed to work? If that's how I do it, you're paying me too much. I don't know. I'll just go find a sword of the Lord and pick one out of there. Okay, Lord, what do you want me to preach? And Judas went and hanged himself. Oh, that's not good. What do you want me to preach? What thou doest do quickly. Oh, my goodness. What do you want me to preach? And he died. Come on, man. What? That's not how it works, y'all. God intends us to know his book. Would you agree with that? We can't expect God to bless our message if it's only Bible-laced instead of Bible-based. We've got to prepare by immersing ourselves in God's Word. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. First Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart, and be ready always to give an answer for to every man that asketh you of a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. There's some preparation involved. The more you know the Word of God, the better you're equipped to give your message effectively. So, needs to be prayer, needs to be passion, needs to be personality, needs to be preparation. Finally, there needs to be precision. Precision. Look at verse 21. 
Peter's just finished quoting the prophet Joel. And in verse 21, he finishes it up with this, And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Verse 37, now when, they were heard, when, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you for the, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the, Holy Ghost, the gift of the Holy Ghost. By the way, let's touch on Acts 2.38. We've done it before, but maybe there's some folks who haven't heard this. Never, ever, ever base your doctrine on a preposition. Prepositions, by definition, can go all kinds of different directions. Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Oh, we got to repent, and we got to be baptized in order to be saved. Okay, quick lesson. The word for, Greek or English, it doesn't matter. The word for, what does it mean? Does it mean because of, or does it mean in order to? I'm going to the doctor because I am sick. For, I am sick. That doesn't mean I'm going to the doctor in order to get sick, although that does happen. No, it's because of. Thank you for that gift you gave me. Not thank you in order to get a gift. It's thank you because I got a gift. Repent and be baptized because of the remission of sins. Not in order to get it. So we just took care of Church of Christ. Done. Okay? Right? Baptismal regeneration. Done. Because these folks, and sincere so they may be, they misuse that verse. That verse. Can I remind you that any work negates grace? For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Okay? That was free. So is Peter being precise here? He is. He is. He didn't mince words in the matter of salvation. He was direct and free of nuance, and unmistakable in proclaiming God's expectations. If you watched that Larry King interview years ago with our buddy from down there in Houston, guy that smiles a lot, do you believe, pastor such and such, that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? If I don't believe in Jesus Christ as my Savior, are you saying I'm not going to heaven? Well, I leave that up to God. I don't like to focus on that. I just like to tell people the message of Jesus. Now, you may not agree with him on every jot and tittle, but when John MacArthur was posed the same question, he looked a man right in the eyes and said, if you don't trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will die and go to hell. Larry King said, but I'm Jewish. We don't believe in Jesus as our Messiah. If you don't trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will die and go to hell. There's not much nuance in that, is it? He doesn't mince words there. There's precision. Now, we would say something about our friend down in Houston that he missed the boat on that one, that he was, uh, more recently, the folks that run the Babylon Bee interviewed Elon Musk and got him to say something weirdly spiritual and said, well, I believe Elon's saved. What I heard Elon Musk say doesn't indicate at all that he's saved. They didn't use precision. And we would all say, we need to be precise in the matter of the gospel. And yet, rather than telling somebody, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou, be, thou shalt be saved, we say, you need to be in church. Now, I'm all for people being in church, but being in church doesn't save you. And if somebody needs to be saved, they need to be saved. 
We, we, we'd say, we'd say things like, well, well, you need to, you need to live right. You need to do better. You need to be kind to each other. You need to love one another. I'm not for, I'm not against any of that, but that's not being saved. Being saved is realizing that you're a sinner in need of a savior and turning to Jesus Christ and his finished work and believing on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. That's our message and we must be precise. So what? Well, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, let me be precise. God has brought you to this place on purpose. You are not here by accident. You are here by divine appointment. God meant for you to hear the gospel, and you have. Well, Andy, I I don't really like you. I don't like your personality. I get it. A lot of people don't. I get it. Some days my wife doesn't. I'm asking you to hear the truth of God's word. Look past me. Look past what you think you know about Baptists. Look past all of that and look to the word of God. We are all sinners. And without Jesus, we go to hell. The precise message that you need today is to believe on Jesus Christ before it's too late. I beg of you. Let somebody take a Bible today and show you how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. That's your so what. If you're here today and you're saved, I don't care how talented you are, how gifted you are, how outgoing you are, if you're saved, you have a message that God means for you to proclaim. All of us do. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And if we're going to be effective in the proclamation of that message, it's going to start with prayer. There needs to be passion. It's okay to use the good parts of your personality. There needs to be some preparation. And we better be precise. May God help us to go into this lost and dying world and make the most out of our message.